thank you for listening. In today's episode, I talked to Jake Sasseville. Jake is uh, running a retreat center down in Costa Rica, and he's had a really fascinating journey where he rose very quickly in the entertainment industry at a young age, and then it suddenly came crashing down, and he ended up, you know, friendless with really no support system and living in his grandma's basement. And so we talk about that and how he used meditation and other tools um, to move through that time and then ultimately move his life from one of um, hustling, as he says, uh, to one of service. And so it's a really, really beautiful story. So I hope you enjoy it. And now let's quickly talk about my amazing sponsors. And again, these are things that I personally use every day. So I encourage you to check them out. There's a sponsors page on my website, caragoodwin.com, and it's got the promo codes for you. And I'll also have links in the show notes. So For those of you who are interested in homeopathic remedies or you want to check them out, you've got to go to Best Made Natural Products. I use these products multiple times a day because the thing with homeopathy is that you benefit the most if you take little doses throughout the day. There are instructions with all the products. It makes it really easy to understand how to use them. You don't have to worry about them because there aren't side effects like with over-the-counter or prescription stuff, Um, but you're going to get the most out of them if you take them three to four times a day. I personally have not studied homeopathy, but the things I've bought from Best Made come with instructions, which include which things target which symptoms, and it makes it very easy. So you can get 10% off of Best Made products on my site. I've been using Viore shampoo and conditioner bars for about a year now. I was really drawn to trying them after considering all the plastic I use and the extra water that goes into processing traditional shampoo. And I found Viore and I loved that not only are they helping to reduce plastic and water use, but they're also supporting the indigenous tribal people of Longshin. I have found that Viore is not only doing great things to help the environment and humanity, but their products are amazing. I love the way my hair looks, feels, and smells. The products are gentle and help to volumize and strengthen hair and even encourage regrowth. Personally, I love the scent of Terrace Garden. Um, The bars are beautifully designed and even the minimal packaging is unique and gorgeous. If you're interested in podcasting, I highly recommend Libsyn for all of your podcast hosting needs. I've been using Libsyn since the meditation conversation began in 2018. It's easy to use, robust, has great functionality, and it breaks up your stats in many different ways, all at a really affordable price point. You can get up to two free months of podcasting service with code TMC when you sign up for a new account. Get all the details in the show notes, and please enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm so happy to be joined by Jake Sasseville. Jake is a serial media music 
and hospitality entrepreneur, an author, and a podcaster. He is the CEO and founder of Imaloa Institute in Costa Rica, and he was the youngest host in late night TV history on ABC, and the White House named him one of the most innovative entrepreneurs under 30. So I'm so delighted that you're here today, Jake. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Kara. I think, you know, the name of the podcast really speaks for itself, and it it's important that we're having conversations like these. And um, and I'm really excited to have it. I'm really excited to be here with you. Wonderful. Well, I can't wait to see how you got to where you are, because I know that things like meditation and um, spiritual development are very uh, important to you. Um, but the background that I gave on you, you know, there's been so much early success and it's been, you know, very, uh, you know, in the entertainment industry and so forth. So I can't wait to see how that all goes together, but, um, talk about your early successes and how those came about. Yeah, I would say that from a very young age, I, um, wanted to be what I thought was successful. Um, I grew up in a poor mill town in the middle of Maine, uh, along the Androscoggin River. And my parents were two beautiful working class people um, who, uh, I mean, beautiful, I don't know if they were beautiful, but they were working class people <laughs> and they tried real hard. They were great people. Right, most, yeah, that's right. They didn't get it right all the time. Um, and so much of my adult journey has been okay with saying, yeah, they didn't get it right the whole time. Like it, they, they tried hard, but they didn't get it right. Whereas in the past, I would say, well, they did the best that they could. And kind of as I've learned to be more authentic through my practice of meditation with myself and with the world, I've just been more truthful in what was and what so. So it makes, it makes things a little easier. Um, anyways, I grew up in Maine and I experienced, you know, early childhood challenges, I would say, some might even say trauma, um, that really kind of sculpted my desire to be successful because I thought, oh boy, if I'm if I'm successful, then I'll be able to deal with everything that happened to me as a kid. And nothing like, well, anyways, I mean, people will determine whether or not it's it's anything major, but like my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's very early on. My brother died of cancer. My mother was an alcoholic. So, you know, bing, bang, boom. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's a lot that happen as early teens and into mid-teens will cause people to do a variety of things. For me, what it caused is the desire for success. Cause like I said, I thought it could fill, I thought it could fill the hole. I thought it could fill the hole. So I, uh, I, I was a magician in my teen years, if you can imagine. And I was so set on making money because, uh, I, I saw how challenging and how poor of a relationship my parents had with making money. Uh, or anyone who made money. It was just a weird, you know, I grew up in the middle of Maine, you know, where it's considered not a badge of honor, but actually a pretty bad thing if you're, if you're well-to-do or wealthy or whatever it is, even those words well-to-do, I remember that's from my childhood. In any case, so I was a magician. I traveled around the Northeast at like 14 years old. I was making three, $400 an hour, which again, 
huge for for where I'm from. I was just so set on it, yeah. And I was um, recruited by or or scouted by the Tonight Show when I was 15 or 16 or something. Started a TV show, and that TV show started locally on a local access TV station that I did in my spare time with my high school friends. And that's was the it show called that, Wayne's World? No, it was not called <laughs> Wayne's World, but it felt like it. It felt like a, it felt like Wayne's World had a baby with Oprah. I thought I could like have these meaningful conversations and also be crazy at the same time. And that was my life for a long time. Um, and I launched that show, went from local TV to ABC after Jimmy Kimmel. I had this whole Jake after Jimmy campaign. I launched in 60 million homes on ABC when I was That's 21 amazing. years old. Yeah. Oh my gosh, 21. Wow. Yes. And ironically, that's also when my practice of meditation started as well. I remember I, I started to, well, I stopped drinking. That was a big thing. I stopped drinking when I was 21. And I just you realized- You stopped drinking at 21. That's, an, uh, that's was, so interesting, isn't it? I was drinking like a fish in my teenagers, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I just, yeah. uh, you know, it's just, it was part of the, it was part of the experience. So I stopped I stopped that. And the reason why I stopped is because I wanted to create a big life for myself. I was doing all these programs. I was doing the Anthony Robbins program and I was seeking mentors. I've been very fortunate to have mentors all around the world, but I wanted to create a pure life of success, not a, and I just, I was just dancing on bars all night and then going to school in the morning and then taping my show in the afternoon. And I said, is this really what life is going to be for me? So the moment I stopped drinking, first of all, I lost a lot of all, almost all my friends from those days, but I started gaining new ones and new mentors. And there was one in particular in London, Susie Pearl. Um, yes, her name is Susie Pearl. And uh, <laughs> she was a PR exec for like Madonna and Michael Jackson. And she would invite me to her house. I was like 19, 20, 21. And I remember she had a, a library, the most beautiful library. And there was a Paul McKenna meditation CD. Paul McKenna is a hypnotherapist in the UK, but he had a meditation CD. And I said, what's meditation? And that started my journey with meditation. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. So what happened to turn your attention to Costa Rica? And I mean, that would have been, I, it sounds like that was a turning point, the, the, the sobriety and then learning even what meditation is, but kind of getting your toe into that world. But um, at some point, it seems like your focus really shifted to spiritual development and, and subsequently focusing on Costa Rica. Yeah, I would say, you know, sometimes when, for those who are listening, when you stumble upon a modality, meditation, whatever it might be, another practice, Sometimes it takes years of being with that practice before it starts to make the real tectonic shifts in one's life. And that was certainly the case for me. I may have found meditation. I may have zoned out for 20 minutes and encountered a whole new world, but I'll be damned if I was just going to give up everything and go to live in a jungle, you know, or whatever those whatever those people do. So there was a lot of reconciling. There, It wasn't like an immediate shift. All through my 20s, I continued to hustle. I continued to rev my ego. And it was around 27, 27, 28, I had lost everything in Hurricane Sandy. My house was washed away in New York City. Oh, I'm sorry. All, all my TV. It's okay. It's, it's, I call it my divine quarter. It's when things just literally washed away. All my TV contracts, all my earning, all my friends 
life was not sustainable the way that I was living it. The high highs and the low lows of, you know, running fast and revving the ego. And I went to a Buddhist monastery. And this is to answer your question of how life started to shift for me. I went to this Buddhist monastery in upstate New York, Port Jarvis, if I remember correctly. And obviously I was seeking something. I don't even know if I knew what I was seeking then, but I decided to let go and let God and go to this monastery. And I remember there were, the, the monks were all out that weekend. I went with my friend who said, this is going to be great. And the monks were all out. They were on some seminar or something. There was one monk there. His name was Dorku, Kelsang Dorku. And I went on a three-day pilgrimage with this 80-year-old monk. And it was, and I did, and I had never meditated to that degree. I mean, that was, that was like three, four hours a day, barely eating anything. I was like, this is insane. I like to eat. I live in New York city. What is this for me? Meditating was always something I did in order to get something rather than just to be. Mm. And so a year later, if you can imagine a year later, I, I didn't keep in touch with Dorku. I didn't keep in touch with him a year later. He reads a blog post that I wrote about losing my house, losing the NBC deal, whatever it was. And he wrote me an email, Kara, and it was the most, and I remember it. I remember the email to this day because it struck me so deeply and it set my life on a whole different course. He said, my dear Jacob, I didn't even know he read my blog or kept in touch with me. My dear Jacob, in your recent blog post about losing your deal with NBC, I count 22 uses of the words I and my in the, in the blog post. Remember, it is our self-cherishing ego that is the root of all our suffering. And finally, please don't ever forget that our lives are fulfilled in direct proportion to the care and concern we have for others. Love. Dorku. And he died the next day, Kara. He died the next day, which I was shocked. This is why I decided to remember the email. I was like, this was prophetic. This was prophetic. And so I made my life slowly. Again, these things don't change fast, or at least they didn't for me. Maybe they do for others who are quantum leaping and all of this. But slowly, I started to move my life in the direction of human beings. Slowly, I started it you know, not to be about I and my, but about we and them. And that's why Imaloa in Costa Rica, our leadership tenant is to serve from a, from a spirit of service and a posture of learning. How do we do this from behind rather than thinking that we need to lead out front? And so over the years after that email, and after a lot of learnings, I moved to Maui. I created this beautiful home in Maui where people started enjoying coming to Maui and enjoying friends, friends of friends. My house just would fill up constantly with people. And I realized people want to feel at home in their transformation. So never having been to a retreat before, never having even thought about it, never have, I had done yoga, but not a yoga retreat. I, I have an Ashtanga yoga practice. I, I started in Maloa based on this human need that I saw that people need to feel at home in their transformation. Retreat centers didn't seem to be doing it. Hotels certainly weren't doing it. So that's why I created Imaloa. And then a year later or whatever it was, six months after talking about this vision, um, we raised the money, me and an ex-business partner of mine raised the money. And, uh, and we started what became Imaloa. And now it's arguably one of the most successful retreat centers, you know, at least in Costa Rica. And we're expanding to seven different continents 
uh, over the next five years. So it's an intercontinental institute for the education and advancement of human beings. And it really started with that Dorku email and how our lives are fulfilled in direct proportion to the care and concern we have for others. Yeah. Wow. I hope that's, that's not too long of an answer. Of course not. Okay, good. How, so when did, when did you start Emaloa? June 1st, 2018 is when okay. we bought the property. I had started it probably two years before in my head, right? Because now big belief that I have oh, is, okay. yeah, our word creates our world. So I had to talk about it in order to make it come, you know, it had to like, I didn't just be like, okay, I have three and a half million dollars. Let's start a retreat center. It took time yeah. to raise the money and to envision it. But I moved to Costa Rica. We closed on the property that became in Maloa, uh, June 1st, 2018. So about four, four and a half years. Wow, that's great. And then, of course, so you were pretty, you were what about coming up to two years when things shut down? I don't know how how that affected Costa Rica. So Costa Rica's borders closed on March 18th, 2020. I'll never forget it. I almost had a full-blown panic attack meltdown. Um, not only because the borders were shutting, but because we had 32 contracts, like upcoming contracts. Like we were sold, not out. We weren't sold out of 2020, but we had a lot of upcoming retreats because I had, you know, I had researched the market. I figured out what our unique differentiators were. I hired great coaches. We had a great team. Boom. We were, we were you know, our first retreat was three months after we closed on the property. I mean, we, we scaled very quickly. And I think that's just a testimony really to the vision and to the team that when a vision is big enough and when the team is just treated like the royalty that we all should be treating our teams, uh, amazing things, magical things happen. Anyways, COVID came, the pandemic came. And, you know, in hindsight, we were not in hindsight. This is a reality. We were the only hospitality business not to shut and not to fire a soul during COVID, despite the borders being shut for everybody for seven months. Um, we reduced all of our salaries. We, you know, to 10% of what we were making, but we didn't shut down. And let me tell you something, the minute the world opened back up, and what I mean by the world is the Costa Rican borders, we had a competitive edge like no one else in the market because everyone had said, oh, you know, we're done. We're shutting down until this thing is over. I was like, oh, heck, no, we're not. And we were the only, my, my team would come in in April and May of 2020. Kara, this is true. They looked like they had just seen a ghost, the Costa Ricans. I said, guys, what's wrong? They're like, Jake, we're the only ones in our town to have a job. We are the only ones in our town. Like this is, a, this is not a testimony of me, by the way. I mean, I have some very gracious investors and we took on some debt, but we did what we had to do to look out for those that we cared most about, which is our team. And this is where our core values came into front and center for us, because it's like, what were we going to choose? What path were we going to choose? That's what we chose. Wow. And then that was, then you guys were able to take off, like once things opened up again, it was fairly seamless, it sounds like. Well, it was, I, so it was not easy. I lost the CEO and COO of Imaloa, my two business partners during COVID. They stepped down. They didn't, it wasn't COVID. They stepped down. They stepped out of the business because it was a plane that was careening toward a mountain. I mean, that's really yeah. what it was. So they, they were like, heck no. And I was like, oh yes, this is where it gets good. Because I knew if we could survive, I knew Kara that if we could survive, we would be a safe haven for people 
who would be asking some of life's biggest questions. And that's what we've become. We pivoted during COVID. We became a long-term live and workspace. So you could come and live, eat, sleep at a Maloa gourmet food, great community, unbelievable nature. And you could work from there because we had great fiber optic internet. So we did that for seven months. And then, yeah, when we when the world opened up, we began booking retreats and it was tricky. It was really tricky. It was, I did not want to be CEO of Imaloa. I resisted it. I said no three times. I was the sales guy, you know, but something got me, something shifted inside my heart on the third time that the, in, the lead investor called me and said, you have to take it over or else we need to sell this place. And I was like, okay, I got it. I, I just, I stayed in it for the team. You know, I care a whole lot about this team and about the vision of what, what I thought we could create if we could make it through. Mm. Well, it's amazing. I mean, I have like my little minor version of what you had because yeah, only in, in terms of the retreat, because I was hosting my very first retreat locally. So I'm in Indiana and, um, and I just kind of, <sighs> of my own accord found a place kind of in the country, um, or in, you know, in the, in the woods basically. Um, and I had my first retreat that I was looking forward to, and it was March 13th to 15th, oh. 2020. Oh. And I had all my bags packed, like all the retreat stuff, all my candles and and you know, my, you know, salt light, my Himalayan salt light candles and all of that, you know, um, packed up by my garage door, like ready to be loaded in the, into the car. And I had participants calling me like, are we still doing this? And the owner of where we were staying, she's like, are, what do you think? And I'm like, I think we still go. Like I kept, you know, all day long. I'm like, I think we need to still keep going and that very day, this was like a Thursday, I think. Yeah, it was a Thursday. I mean, schools were starting to close, but it was all happening in one day. It was like, yes. then Disney World closed. And I was like, Disney World closed? And then the NBA closed. And I'm like, the NBA closed? I remember when the NBA closed. That was big. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, these are really big, big corporations. And I'm like, they're... Okay. So then that really made me like, okay, well, who am I? You know, why would I think that my people are going to be safe when everybody else is retreating and they're like, no, we've got to stay home, stay home. And I'm like, why, why would I then be like, think that, you know, my people would be safe, <laughs> you know? So then we did, I had to make the last minute call and it was like, I mean, but it was really in the 11th hour. Like, I mean, I was packed, uh, literally everything packed and ready to go. And then I had to individually call people and. Oh, it's the hardest. I mean, to deal with clients at that time was so hard because they had, many were paid in full. You know, it's not cheap to host it in Maloa. I mean, I totally feel whatever level it was, whether it was call, you having to call participants or us having to deal with folks like you, like clients, it was really tricky. What ended up happening with your retreat? I, I postponed it. So we, I did do it in August at the cool. same place, which wasn't, it didn't feel like that much later. I was, but looking back, I'm like, wow, that really wasn't that long before I was able to have it. And it was great. Good. Uh, but it was one of the first things where people were kind of all together uh, for all the people who were there. And so it's just, it's funny to look back and be like, yeah, we were really tiptoeing around each other and 
everything was outside, you know, cause it was, it was August. So we were able to be outside and we were really like praying for the weather, like in the weather was incredible. So mm. We got really, we were, we were very fortunate, um, under the circumstances and, um, but it was, it was so funny cause it was a meditation retreat, you know, and, and we were all trying to, you know, set it up so that it was really, you know, nurturing our spirits. And, um, but the, the place where I hosted it, they also, they were kind of a, a motorcycle destination, because they were in the hills, uh, in the beautiful countryside, and because things were just starting to open up, and there weren't a lot of places where you know motorcycle groups could go, they that was like a destination for a lot of people to like take their motorcycle on the weekend and go hang out at this hotel, or it was like this little country inn, mm. you know, with different outbuildings and stuff. But they had a bar. And uh, like a little bar and grill. And so there were just, it was a very funny contrast because we were able to be off, you know, in this barn area that was really beautiful. But then when we needed to eat, we'd go to this bar and grill. And then there were like all these, you know, barker uh, bikers. And then a lot of people who were just there to like let loose. Mm. And um, <laughs> it, so it, was, it was just very funny because it's a weird time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like this interesting we were... time when humanity. It's like I've not done ayahuasca, the plant medicine from the from the Amazon ayahuasca. But I'm shocked if you haven't done it, and you're in Costa Rica. I know everybody. It's the whole thing. I just when everyone says zig, I go zag. But I had many friends who said the world was collectively going through an ayahuasca journey. Um, you know, in, in that time, because everything that was normal suddenly wasn't, and yet. For me, I got to see people for who they really were, Kara. And that was really powerful because I was disillusioned. Even though I'm a pretty smart person and pretty intuitive, I still allowed myself to be disillusioned by certain folks. And I feel like COVID also really lifted those veils too. Yeah. Yeah. There were definitely, there, there have been gifts in it and it's been and yeah, I mean, I can, I haven't had ayahuasca either, but I can, I can see that, you know, <laughs> that parallel between that type of experience and what, you know, the collective has been going through for a couple of years. <laughs> mm -hmm. The purging, it's funny to the look, purging. Yeah. Right. And it's funny to look back on it and there, you know, now we look back and we know how it works out. You know, it's like, oh, well, of course, like, of course you wouldn't have your retreat because the whole thing closed down for a long time yeah. and then it would open up and then it would close down again, depending on where you were. And, um, and it, it was, you know, such a slow reintegration and it's such a slow process of coming out of that, which we now know that even, I mean, things are more or less, at least to a new normal now, you know, where, but it just depends. I mean, I still go out and I'll still see people in masks and things like that. So there are still like vestiges of it. But, um, but looking back, you know, we have the, the gift of hindsight where it's like, well, yeah, mm -hmm. of course, everything closed down. So of course you would have, that's how it was for a lot of things. But when you're going through it, it's like, this is so weird. Like, and really we have that collect. It's, it's interesting you talk about the gift of hindsight because it's a it's 
probably for the first and only time in our lifetimes and maybe even in generations, although maybe our grandparents' generation in World War II, 1945 was obviously that day in 1945 was a big day. It's interesting because we it's a collective. We all get to look back and experience that. Like, and we all get to pinpoint, okay, you were in Indiana doing your retreat. I was in Costa Rica and we were just ending a retreat and we ne- we didn't know we wouldn't have another retreat again for a year. Like all these things that, and yet we can all trace it back to a certain time period and how we felt and it was collectively shared. And now it's a collective hindsight. Very rare to be able to do that. I mean, you and I probably live very different lives in Indiana and Costa Rica. And yet here we are unified by these, by these moments. And it really goes to show like that, this is why for me, COVID was particularly striking and the pandemic was striking because it showed us our common humanity in front of us and continues to, if we listen to it, how, how, how in sync we actually are, that we're more same than separate, all of these things. Right, right. Absolutely. So I, I know that you're learning a lot about business and culture in terms specifically about Costa Rica and you're working on uh, striving toward equality in your international team. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested to read about that. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So for those who haven't done business or haven't been to Costa Rica, it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Some of the loveliest people, doesn't matter their socioeconomic background, whether they're wealthy or not. They just, their motto is pura vida, which in Spanish means pure life. Um, and so instead of saying hello and goodbye, they say pura vida. So imagine you're in the street in the grocery store getting gas and everyone's saying pure life, pure life, pure life. Um, so it's a really remarkable, um, it's a remarkable place to be. And yet there are huge amounts of inequities, um, you know, the minimum wage for many of the type of work that we employ, many of the type of team members that we employ is five, six, $700 a month, according to government standards for those in the hospitality business. And Costa Rica is not a cheap country. It's actually quite expensive for Central America. It's quite expensive to live here. Um, and so this inequity really bothered me. And in fact, I had local Costa Ricans, those who were business owners, indigenous Costa Ricans, wealthy indigenous Costa Ricans, tell me that I shouldn't pay a dollar more because that's what they get paid. And otherwise it'll cause it to be difficult for other business owners, like wild things. When I first moved here, I was like, what? Cause I wanted to pay everybody more. I thought this was crazy to pay people $600 a month and to see that even Costa Ricans themselves were not advocating for their people to be lifted up. And it's not about the money, although it's a big part about the money. For me, it was about creating a sense of hope and curiosity about what's possible in the world and that that could be intergenerationally impactful. And it's not the same in the States. It's not the same. It's the States is very capitalistic in its approach. This is very pure. This is a very different, I mean, it's capitalistic as well. Don't get me wrong, but it's, um, it's, less interesting to address these inequities in a place like the States, which is so harbored with and plagued by so many different cultural challenges um, from racial to economic to religious. And it's much for me, it's much more enjoyable to 
contribute in this way here. So, you know, there are certain steps that we've taken and are taking, you know, one of the things I'm really proud of is, is our general manager who's Costa Rican and our director of sales who's from Southern California, they make the same amount of money, same job, same, you know, one's a woman, one's a male, but they, they make the same amount. That is an amazing feat that I bet very few businesses in Costa Rica can say. I appreciate you asking me about that. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Beautiful. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit about Grandma's basement. Can you tell us about this and who Grandma was? Really, what a time a literal woman, a woman that lived once upon a time. She actually died this year. Bless Grandma. So you know, I told you that house got washed away in Hurricane Sandy, yeah. and so mm-hmm. and all my contracts and like I literally hit a dark night of the soul. I smacked up against the wall of a dark night of the soul, and it was hard. And I had no place to go. And I was flying high in New York and I had to go back to Maine, which I resisted because I didn't want to go back because there's just a lot of pain there, right? If there's a lot of pain where you're from and you haven't dealt with it, it's hard to go back. So I had to face my greatest fear. My aunt wouldn't take me in. My mom was drinking. My dad, you know, was very much into his Parkinson's disease journey. The only place I could go was grandma's and grandma said, you can have the basement. And... The basement was an unfinished basement, probably 10 by 10. And I resisted the first year of being in that basement, Kara. I, 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 I just couldn't deal with it. I had to, my, my phone stopped ringing. I started and failed at five businesses. The sixth one, which was a podcast actually worked, but it was a full blown surrender and in the dark night of the soul. And I got into a 12 step program. I would go for three, four, five hour walks a day in the woods. Um, I had no money in my bank account for for a year. Grandma put food in the fridge. She gave me her 2004 gold Jetta and put gas in the car for me so that I could have some sense of normalcy. Everyone told me, why don't I just get a job? Meanwhile, I'm starting and failing at five businesses, which is a little bit harder than a job application because I was trying to be true to myself in the face of all this fear and uncertainty. And after the first year, I started to accept what I could not change. I started to learn to live life on life's terms. I started to be okay with if I was in grandma's basement for the rest of my life. I started to not go back to New York City on my friend's dime so that I could experience the thrill of the city, but rather just be in that basement, be in the nature, be in life, live life on life's terms instead of always trying to create some result instead to really look at how I could be and just take action from wherever it is I was. So this is what that basement started to teach me. It was deeply moved. It was profound. It was a profound two years of my life. And, you know, life started to work again for me after the second year, once I really surrendered and I learned how to create from a place of surrender instead of hustle. And creating from a place of surrender allows us to listen to the whispers of life. Our life is always speaking to us. We just need to be quiet enough to be able to listen. And I was never quiet enough. I was never quiet enough. Even with all my meditation practices and my gurus and my mentor relationships, I still wasn't quieting my mind. And grandma's basement forced me into quieting my mind. So the sixth business, like I said, worked. It was a podcast. I started it in 2014. I just called it 
the Jake Sassaville show. And what I decided to do is I made a podcast really as a living amends to those who I had hurt in my 20s because you don't end up without a house, without contracts, without friends if you're not hurting people along the way. And I was a hustler. I was hustling, you know? And so the podcast was interviewing people that had never done podcasts before in 2013, 14, that were pretty well known or interesting at the very least. And it was in being service to them to get their message out there in a beautiful way that they could be proud of. And that podcast went from zero to a hundred thousand downloads in like a month. And I ended up leveling off at quarter of a million downloads a month for 300 episodes, whatever it was. I was making eight, nine, 10, 12 grand a month after just three months of doing the show. I mean, things you just don't hear about in podcasts. And I was taping the whole damn show from Dunkin' Donuts parking lot because grandma didn't have internet in her basement. So the whole thing is just like crazy to reflect on, but also, you know, really important because I'm sure that even though Many of your listeners probably aren't in grandma's actual basement. Grandma's basement was a place for me, but it's a way of my, it's a way of mind. It's a way of thinking. It's an experience. It's a life pause. It's a dark night of the soul. It's all of these things that, again, we share in our common humanity, but don't actually give credence to that we're each going through it in different ways right now. Well, how can people find out more about you and about Imola? So you got it. You got it. There you go. Imilo. I wasn't going to correct you. It's a lot of vowels. I know. I know it is. Um, if people would like to, they can go to imaloainstitute.com or at imaloa.institute on Instagram. Um, and just for your folks, if they use promo code Jake on any signature retreat, they'll get $350 off. So that's kind of nice. Promo code Jake at imaloainstitute.com. Um, me, I'm on the socials at Jake Sasseville. The show, if they want to tune in, is the Jake Sasseville Show. Um, we just launched our fourth season yesterday or two days ago with Gandhi's grandson. So Gandhi's grandson. Is this was, a podcast? Yes, or what the podcast. Oh. Yeah, the Jake Sasseville Show is the podcast. So people can listen in if they want to. But really, if people are like feeling moved, I think learning more about Imaloa and seeing if and how we could serve your people Um yeah, they're more than invited to go. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Kara. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love for you to do me one quick favor, which is to think of one person who would benefit from hearing this content. Let them know you're thinking of them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you. And I look forward to the next meditation conversation.